Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Most people love a great comeback story, don't they? Especially if the person happens to be an underdog. One of my absolute favorite comeback stories of all time is the fictional character, Rocky Balboa. (laughs) For those who might not know, he was a slugger that was unknown and grew up in the streets of Philadelphia, and he got his undeserved title shot when Apollo Creed wanted to have some fun. And so he took full advantage of that, he shocked the world, and The story goes on and on and on, and and there's a whole franchise based on Rocky. And I think part of the success is that we can identify with the protagonist, right? We see ourselves in the story, and we want to have that same hope, that inspiration, that maybe we too can make this heroic comeback against all odds. I know there's been spinoffs and and there's Creed movies coming out, but I think Rocky X is ready to be released this summer. It's his biggest battle yet against his health care insurance provider. (laughs) It's all the coverage and the benefits, right? So (laughs) stay tuned. I kid, I kid. That's really not happening. But if you've been with us or maybe you haven't had a chance to join us this past couple of weeks, we've been looking at a remarkable comeback in the Bible. In this story that we've been looking at, there's this young man who found himself in in the depths of his own sinful choices, and he made a comeback. It's found in the parable of the prodigal son. So if you have access to a Bible, please make your way to Luke chapter 15. And by the way, a parable is simply an earthly story that communicates a spiritual reality. And I want to start with the first couple of verses just so we can get a better understanding of why Jesus was compelled to share this parable. In verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right from the jump, we see that these religious leaders had a problem with the company that Jesus kept, right? These sinners, they were involved in every type of immoral activity that that you can think of. The tax collectors, they were in a league all their own, right? They were viewed as traitors, and it wasn't just because of the national betrayal, right? They, They made money for Rome while skimming off the top, right? They ripped people off and made a profit in the process. And so it bothered these Pharisees and scribes so much that they couldn't help gripe and and, and grumble about how Jesus was so welcoming to these types of people. And so because Jesus loved them and he loved the Pharisees and scribes, he mentioned not just this parable, but three. There was a succession of them. The first one was a story about a lost sheep then a lost coin, and then he culminated with a lost son. 
But in this last one, Jesus ups the ante. Right? It's one thing to, to lose property and, and possessions, and I'm not discounting the, the suffering there, but it's a whole other level when you lose loved ones. And I mean both physically and spiritually. This third parable in Luke 15 picks up in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. From these opening verses here, we get a picture of the main characters in the story. A seemingly affluent father, a rich dad, and his two sons, with the younger one shaking down his pops for a cash advance. Right? Basically saying, would you drop dead already? Because that's how it worked. And as soon as the funds hit his account, he skipped town and then started throwing his newfound wealth around. But as the saying goes, easy come, easy go. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So after dropping his last dime, he happens to pick up the paper and, and read the headline, Nationwide Food Shortage. And as the economy crashed, he starts to feel these hunger pangs. And he's just desperate due to the starvation. And so he finds himself in a temp agency. And the only job he could land was a gig feeding pigs. And so he was so famished that this pig slop seemed like a, a very viable option. Historians suggest that when a famine occurred during those times, people would resort to, eat, to eating anything, from, from grass to garbage. For those of you who may have a pet dog or a, a pet cat, maybe you opened up that can of food, and as you got that whiff, you, you said to yourself, man... Oh, that smells pretty good. Uh, oh, uh, me, me neither. <laughs> but but th this young man, th this was the end of his rope. This was his rock bottom. But listen to how he started his comeback in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He finally realized just how far from grace he had fallen. And I just picture him snapping back into reality as he looks at his reflection in a mud puddle, regretting how deceived he had been. But instead of dumpster diving, he decides to eat a slice of humble pie and make his way back home. The rest of verse 20 
It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And look at this reaction. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That was amazing. And then he ends in verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Last week, we saw how God... The Father deals with all of us. When we repent and and return to him, we saw this through the response of the Father in the parable, that that God graciously and compassionately receives us, that that he doesn't wait until we prove ourselves before he embraces us, that he immediately celebrates when we go back home. However, this Arms wide open reception wasn't given by every family member. Look at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. What a surprise uh, this must have been for the older son as he headed back from supervising the family business. Right? He, he comes home and... and before he can get there, he hears all the commotion going on. Picture coming home to your block and seeing that there's a house party going on, right? In the street, you have cars lined up. There are people in the middle of the street, right? You know something's happening. You can even hear the bass. The closer you get, the louder it thumps. And then the shocker is, When you get close enough, you realize the party's in your own backyard. (laughs) That's how this older son was kind of experiencing all this as it happened. And so in verse 26, it says, So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Naturally, the older son found someone who was in the know And the older son must have been deep in the fields, right? He must have been gone for a while because he was completely clueless about all that was happening. And so he finds one of his employees. He interrogates him. This this servant was probably close enough to be able to see everything that went down and gladly fills him in on all the details. And by the way, this shindig didn't just consist of a small gathering of your immediate family and a few close friends. Because a fattened calf could feed up to a couple hundred people, right? It it was a huge celebration. And the younger son, who happened to be the guest of honor, had his choice of the cut of meat that he was going to eat. You understand? I'm talking T-bone. I'm talking sirloin. I'm talking ribeye. And for all the other guests, don't worry. We had carne asada tacos all around. (laughs) Not too bad, not too bad for a party, right? But there was a huge reason to rejoice. You see, not only was the younger son physically safe, but he was spiritually sound. That's what the original language is suggesting, that the father recognized that his baby boy 
was a new man. But here's where we see a stark contrast between the father's reaction and the older brother. In verse 28, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed you or never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I think he said it this way, or this is how I at least picture it. You never even gave me a young goat and I couldn't celebrate with my friends. <laughs> right? He needed some cheese with that wine. <laughs> he, he, he was, again, just focused on the wrong thing. And, and I just see the dad asking him straight up, why are you mad, bro? Why are you reacting in the complete opposite manner that I am? But he makes a pretty good point, doesn't he? Think about this. Is dad showing favoritism? It seems as if the older son is actually being punished for his obedience and the younger son is being rewarded for his disobedience. So no wonder why he reacted in this way in verse 30. But when this... Son of yours, not brother of mine, son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. It's not like the elder brother was entirely embellishing on, on, on these details, right? The younger son went to go live a fast life with even faster women. How many of you can sympathize with, with the older brother? Right? You've been on your best behavior. You've been a good girl. But it seems as if you can't catch a break to save your life. And you see everyone else getting big blessings. And you know for a fact that they have a checkered past. Maybe you often even ask yourself, is this worth following all the rules anymore? But how many of you can relate to maybe the, the younger brother? Sympathize with him, right? You, the last thing you wanted was to be told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And so you overreact and you make some selfish and foolish decisions. And through that, you ruin some relationships. You, you cause some loved ones to, to grieve. You waste a bunch of money and a bunch of time. You blew once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. But somehow, somehow... You came to your spiritual senses and returned to God. You see, the truth is that we can relate to one or the other depending on where we're at in life, right? When I first received Christ, I definitely related more to the younger son. Hopefully you, you won't guess this, but I've done a lot of things in my past that I'm ashamed of. For instance, I've done every, practically, every illegal and illicit drug under the sun. And I, I did it over the course of a decade. Even to the point of leading others to do the same. Some of them might still be addicted today. But now, I see glimpses of myself in the older brother. I've done things that I'm not proud of in my past, and I've done things that I'm not proud of in my present. 
like looking at someone and making a, a snap judgment and, and because they might not look like they have it all together, thinking that they're even too far from God's reach, that they're just outside of his ability to transform them. Remember this parable is one of three that Jesus taught about lostness. I want to take a look at the other two because I want you to notice something. In verse 4 of Luke 15, it says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And then in verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And then jumping to verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Did you catch that? The shepherd goes after the sheep. The woman searches for the coin. And the father went after the lost son and begged him to come inside the house. You might be saying to yourself, wait, I think, Pastor, you got mixed up. He, he didn't go after the, the lost son. The lost son was in a far away country. He may have waited for him, but he didn't search for him. That's the plot twist. The 99 sheep, the nine coins, and the younger son were already found. In all three parables, what was lost, what was being sought after, was the one sheep, the one coin, and the one older son. Am I saying that the younger son wasn't lost? No, absolutely not. Of course he was. What I'm saying is that this story started out with two lost sons. This is the point that Jesus was trying to make and the truth that the Pharisees were denying. The tax collectors, the sinners, they knew they were lost. And the younger son eventually came to realize the same thing. But the Pharisees and the scribes, on the other hand, they refused to recognize their lostness. <laughs> See, they, they saw themselves as part of the 99 in the pen. They saw themselves as part of the nine coins in the purse. But just like the older brother, they refused to acknowledge their heart condition. And here's why. You can be near the Father's house, yet far from the Father's heart. They say a, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I want us to take a look at Rembrandt's depiction of this parable. Soak that in and, and, and look at this picture and, and just see the details. But one detail I want you to zero in on is the older son. I'm no art buff, but I want you to spot a few things. First of all, look at his posture of pride as he condescendingly looks down on his baby brother. Not only that, I interpret his demeanor as a mixture of disdain 
discontent, disapproval, even disgust. And it's not just in his facial expression. Notice how he's off at a distance, clasping his hands. But what's so alarming and even disturbing is that he's dressed in a red robe. And this has deceived him from thinking that he's good with his father when nothing could be further from the truth. So for the rest of our time together, I want to take a sneak peek into the older son's perspective. I want to pose three warnings for us to heed so we don't fall into the same trap. And this is so, so critical to grasp because it's actually better to know you're lost than to think you aren't. I'll present these warnings in question form. Here's the first one. Is my faith more about a religion or a relationship? The older son saw his father as an authority figure to obey versus a person to love. It was all about keeping, keeping up appearances. It was all about learning how to play the part. He was far more concerned with not breaking the rules than not breaking his father's heart. And when push came to shove, he showed his true colors. Look at verse 29 again. But when he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Come on, really? This is the danger of religion. Because we're externally acceptable. Because we said all the right things because we've mastered how to conceal our sins. You see, the older son, he wasn't perfect. He was prideful. The older son wasn't sinless. He was self-righteous. Listen to what Jesus said about this very thing in another interaction with the Pharisees as he quoted the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. In Matthew 15, in verse 7, he says, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Another indicator of this disconnect between the father and the older son is that he was totally unaware of the party planning. Right? You might say, well, you know, he, he, he couldn't have been in the know. Because he was in the field, not in the home. But I think that detail given by Jesus was intentional. Right? He was exposing a lack of intimacy between the two. There was a reason he was out of the loop. In fact, in this parable, there is no mention whatsoever of the older son stepping foot in the father's house. That's why he called one of his servants in verse 26 and asked him, what's going on? This Reminds me of what Jesus told his disciples one day, recorded in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father I've made known to you. Here's one more clue that shows us the older son lacked a relationship with his father and was just as lost as 
the younger son in verse 29. After telling him that he was essentially perfect, he says, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. This older son wasn't like a teenager thinking dad wasn't cool anymore, just wants to hang out with his buddies or telling mom, just drop me off at the mall, please, no need to come in. Right? This younger son left, and he probably parted with his so-called friends, but at least he had the nerve because his rebellion was outward and obvious. The older son, his rebellion was inward and inconspicuous. But, but how could he keep this hidden for so long? Here's why. Because you can be near the father's house, yet far from the father's heart. Here's the second question and the second warning. Am I fueled by my working for God or my worshiping of God? I think the, the longer we've been around the church, the easier it is to be driven by what we've done for God instead of what God has done for us. Look at how the older son set his schedule and how he viewed his status. In verse 25, right, that detail, as I mentioned earlier. Meanwhile, he was in the field. And then jump to verse 29. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. The older son saw his service to his father as more of an obligated duty instead of a privileged joy. That's amazing. And, and this all came about because the gracious treatment uh, given to the younger son provoked this reaction, right? And now all the bitterness, all the resentment was coming to a boil. But get this, again, the older son viewed all the time that he spent with his father as enslavement, not enjoyment. Do you see that? He must have thought to himself, shaking his head, I've been busting my hump, I've been working my fingers to the bone, and this guy comes strolling home and drops to his knees, begs for mercy, gets all this fanfare. What about me? He just didn't get it. And neither did the Pharisees. In fact, Luke goes on to record these two polar opposite attitudes a few chapters later in another parable in Luke 18, starting at verse 10. It says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Sound familiar? The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this, this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week. I, I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's clearly obvious who was pridefully seeking approval from their work and who was humbly displaying adoration in their worship. Remember what the younger brother planned on asking his, his father? Right? He was banking on his mercy, and he was willing to 
lower himself to the position of hired servant instead of restored son. Whereas the older brother, the older brother always considered himself a slave and never considered himself a son. But why? Because you can be near the father's house, yet far from the father's heart. Here's the third and final warning to heed and the question to answer today. Do I focus on making comparisons or showing compassion? The older brother's focus was solely on comparing how much grace was being showered upon the younger son, right, which killed any chance of him showing compassion, right? He let his food get cold watching his brother's plate. He just couldn't take it. Look at verse 29 again. It says, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. For him! <laughs> right? He's seething. He's screaming. What about me? Man, I, I deserve two fattened calves. For all the work I put in, I can't even get some stinking mun chops up in here. Is the junior cheeseburger too much to ask? <laughs> you see, when we compare how someone else is being blessed versus the way we've been blessed, we'll not only lack compassion, we'll appear to exude this smog and superior religiosity. Right? We'll begin to, to have cold and, and, and callous hearts toward others. We'll continue to harbor jealousy and envy and bitterness and resentment. It's also vital to understand what Jesus wasn't doing with all of this. He was not condoning sinful behavior. Let's get that straight. He was celebrating life change. And the Pharisees, again, were so, so perplexed about how Jesus would compassionately welcome these sinners instead of condemning them. But what the Pharisees and the scribes neglected to take into consideration was this. These sinners were seeking Jesus, and as they were, they were softening their hearts while the Pharisees were hardening theirs. The religious leaders of the day and in all of Israel, really, had such a rich history, a steep tradition of centuries of the exposure of God, the one true God, and God faithfully made his character known time and again. In fact, check out what the psalmist says about Yahweh in Psalm 145 in verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. But again, why couldn't they pick up what Jesus was putting down? You already know. Say it with me. Because you can be near the Father's house, yet far from the Father's heart. <laughs>
Another aspect that we find here, going back to the set of the three parables, right? Jesus emphasized a few points. He painted a picture of God that he wanted everyone to understand. We already looked at one, that in all three scenarios, the person was intentionally seeking their lost treasures. And yes, that means God is seeking after you. That's why you feel the way you do. But another theme you'll find in all three parables is celebrating what was found. Look at verses 5 and 6 of, six of Luke 15. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And then in verse 9, And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And then in verse 32, well, we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad. Why? Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In all three parables, there's joy over the lost being found. There's a, a call for corporate celebration that all those who would follow in the footsteps of the younger son would have a party in heaven thrown on their behalf. But what about the older son? Why did Jesus seemingly leave us on a cliffhanger, uh, to be continued theme, right? Here's why. Because the jury was still out on the Pharisees, on the scribes, on all those who heard the parable, and even for us today. Jesus was essentially inviting them to, to join the other sinners in gathering around him. And he's doing the same thing today. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Understand that God desperately wants to celebrate your comeback. And maybe you're like the, the younger son. You, you've swallowed your pride. You've delved into this devoted relationship with the Father. You, you've been worshiping him for all that he's done for you and, and, and all that he is. You've been compassionately inviting others to come and experience the same thing. Or maybe, maybe as hard as it is to admit, you're more like the older son, just, just a, a, a tad, a smidge pharisaical. Now, your, your faith has become shallow and, and showy, that Sundays are nothing more than a religious ritual. Maybe your time with God feels like it's a draining task versus an overwhelming joy. Perhaps this has led you to compare your culturally acceptable sins against those who have illicitly egregious sins, those who are sincerely seeking Jesus. In other words, maybe you're near the Father's house, yet far from the Father's heart. If that's you, please listen to what the Father said to his firstborn in verse 31. 
my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. The father not only pleaded with his older son, but he presented all that could be his. You see, the father had enough grace for both of his sons. God has enough grace for everyone. It's not as if the father was taking off the robe and the ring and the shoes off of the older son to put it on the younger son. That's how he felt, but that's not how it was. Everything the father had was his for the asking. But this didn't come by relative proximity. It came by a personal relationship, not a detached, rigid, religious system of rules and regulations to be followed. Wherever you find yourself today, the remedy is the same. Receive Christ. Run to the Father. In fact, Luke would later write the mission of Jesus The Son of Man came to save and seek the lost. The late, great Tim Keller put it this way. The the younger son was lost in his badness. The older son was lost in his goodness. You can never be too bad that you can't come home. And you will never be good enough that you don't need God's grace and forgiveness. Do you believe it? Even more importantly, will you receive it? Listen to what John writes in his gospel in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It doesn't matter what type of prodigal daughter or son you are. Whether you're the younger, whether you're the older, whether you think you're too bad or you think you're good enough. What matters is whether or not you receive him. And you can do that right now. And if you're ready, I want to lead you in a prayer. And so with every head bowed with every eye closed and with every heart open. Would you say, Jesus, I now realize I'm the lost one. And I want a personal relationship with you just like you want one with me. I believe you lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death. Please forgive me for all my sins, the ones everybody knows about and the ones I've kept secret for so long. I realize that I don't deserve your forgiveness. I can't earn your acceptance, but I believe you will graciously and compassionately receive me. So today, I forsake my old ways and choose to follow you. Help me to do so. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to be the first one to say, welcome home. And if you, yes, yes, there are people in this room that have done that. People online that have made that decision. And please don't keep that a secret. Let us know. And you can do that a couple of ways. There's this connect slip that was on your bulletin that's perforated. Fill it out. Check that box that says, I said yes to Jesus, and put it in the offering in a moment. And then if you're joining us online, if it's more convenient for you, text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. Or if you just want to explore a little bit more, there's actually someone waiting in the lobby for those joining us in person that are ready to help you answer any questions you may have and make that decision. So please, please don't leave without letting us know that you've returned to God, whether that's for the first time or a recommitment. Guys, I really believe that if we are honest with ourselves, if we heed these warnings, that we'll stay stay so close to God. And even if we wander or stray away, we can always run back to the Father. This week, I want you to do me a favor, not because you owe me anything, but because God is worthy. Would you spend at least one day with him besides Sunday? Why? Because it's the most important relationship you have. And then secondly, would you share your story with someone? Maybe someone that you might not uh, talk to normally. In fact, we have some invite cards out there in the lobby. You can just grab one and break the ice and however much time they give you. Use that to show God's grace and love and compassion. Before I wrap up in, in prayer and we take our offering, I just want to announce that we have an exciting teaching series coming up next week. We're going to be looking at the Psalms, and we're going to be looking at pop culture. And in this series called Summer Playlist, we're going to line up the two and see what God's Word has to say. So this is going to be a fun series. This is going to be an encouraging series. This is going to be a challenging series. So think of who you can be inviting back with you next week. But if we do what God's Word tells us, to drop drop all the religious jargon, to worship him, and to show compassion. Imagine the impact that we can make in our circles of influence. Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've been doing in our hearts during our time together. And Lord, only you can see what's happening, the change that's taking place. But we know that there is because your word has the power to transform us. And for all those who who might be just feeling a, a sense of conviction, I pray that they would embrace what you're trying to do in this moment by changing them, by softening them, by giving them a bigger heart of compassion. To worship you in a rich and vibrant way. And so, Father, again, we thank you 
for all that you've done in our time together. And then for the offering, would you bless those who are giving to the work of your kingdom to see lives change, to see people come back home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.